We are here to uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly of the IT industry. My name is Robin Johns, and this is Convergence by Cato Networks. Choosing an IT partner is not a decision to be taken lightly, and with so many options to choose from, it can be an overwhelming decision. People's knowledge and technical capabilities vary greatly, so the best partner probably will not be the same for each organization. So, what should you expect as a customer? How long does it take for a vendor to fully onboard an IT solution? Paul Van Lierop, Cato Network's channel sales engineer, will share his secret sauce to help you choose the right vendor to cover all your needs. Stay tuned, this will be a good one. Hi there, Paul. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Robin. Yes, good to join you. Before we get into the meat and the bones, or the apple and the leather of the situation, tell me a bit about yourself. How did you get to where you are today? Great question. I've been in some form of technology about well over 25 years at this point, not to date myself, but I started as a help desk consultant uh, in the early days where I was switching floppies to install programs for people and explaining what a mouse was. I got into networking very early on in my career uh, and really liked it. And I kind of just grew in that space. I worked for Microsoft for 10 years, building very large networks overall. I actually built the initial networks for Azure when it was known as Red Dog. And then I moved into the more customer-focused, sales-oriented role when I joined Cisco, uh, where I worked there for 10 years and covered some big customers like Amazon and Oracle and ended up covering SD-WAN in the space until I ended up uh, at Cato, wanting to go back to my roots where I started in the dot-com era and get back close to things and, and be a part of something new and, and something that I saw that was changing the industry. So, you know, it's been a long journey that I didn't plan uh, to be where I'm at, but here I am and couldn't be happier. <laughs> Generally, you have no idea where you'll end up in life and you just take those junctions and journeys as you go. You think, yes, I'll do this, I'll do that. But yeah, your your vision always changes. And having vision change as you move along a path is something that people find very difficult, especially when dealing with vendors. Quite often, you would reach out to one specific vendor or a, a distributor and say, hi, distributor, I would like to buy this product, please. And they come out with a whole myriad of solutions, a smorgasbord or grazing table of different types of solutions and vendors. But I'm going to step back one step, just a little step. And tell me, Paul, what is the difference between a vendor and a partner? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, I get asked this a lot uh, about the space, especially the people that don't live in the, the environment. But a vendor would be something like Cato Networks or Cisco or name a, a firewall solution provider or cybersecurity person, that, that is the vendor space, right? So they're the ones that are providing that technology. When you look at the partner side of things, at least in North America, the way the, the partner community works is there is a collection of people that could be in several spaces. We, we have what we call managed service providers or MSPs. They're focused on delivering a whole solution to their end customer. So they come in, maybe they'll even manage their workstations. They'll, they'll build everything to do with their environment, take their help desk calls, et cetera, provide cohesive solutions for them. But then we also have the concept of 
agents and master agents, or increasingly they're moving towards the terminology like technology solutions broker or TSB to replace the problematic master agent title. But really what they are is they are a clearinghouse, if you will, for smaller partners who want to provide solutions to their end customers, but maybe they don't have direct relationships with all of those vendors, right? Because some of those vendors are huge, right? And they have requirements for doing business with them. They're not very nimble in that space. So you can leverage that TSB or master agent as a as a sub-agent or trusted advisors, other terminology that gets used to be able to provide these solutions to your end customer. So, you know, if you as a customer want to do business in technology, maybe you don't understand it. Maybe, especially if you look at say cybersecurity is a good example, it's a crowded market. There's a lot of, a lot of acronyms floating around. Maybe you'll go to your trusted advisor to help you figure out and boil that down overall. So in a nutshell, it still seems quite confusing from my yeah. perspective. <laughs> Okay. So we've got resellers, okay. distributors, value-added resellers or VARs, sub-agents, master agents. There's a lot of terminology out there. Could you simplify each one into a single bullet point? Why should I know about it and why should I care? Sure, sure. Okay. So as far as the channel is concerned and all of those different levels of agents, master agents, VRs, resellers, it all depends upon the customer and maybe their size as a good example, right? So if I am a orthodontia clinic and I want to deploy a solution, I'm probably working with a sub-agent or a trusted advisor to help me in that space. And they'll recommend a solution and somebody would, and a vendor would provide that for me, right? Because I don't necessarily need a full IT stack I'm an end customer that wants to take advantage of something and I need somebody to help me do that, right? If I'm a larger organization, then I'll probably be working with maybe an MSP, maybe a service provider of some sort, maybe that value added reseller. And those terms are pretty fluid. Uh, I will say that because it depends where you live on that spectrum. If I'm an MSP versus a VAR is really the amount of add-on and control that I provide to that end customer, right? So if I want to get in there and take their tier one or take their phone calls when they've got trouble, I'm going to be more on the MSP space, right? If I'm a VAR, maybe I'm taking advantage of a, of a, a vendor that will provide that for me, and then I'm reselling it to my end customer. So there's a lot of gray areas as with everything, right? As far as where they live in that space. It doesn't help in the overall grand scheme of things. But what it really is, is finding that that group of people that you trust, that you know, and that you've identified as competent in that space. And that's kind of, frankly, where it starts for a lot of our customers. I know looking at the global landscape, it's not just about where you sit in the partner ecosystem, but where you sit geographically. Now, if you are in the Bay Area in lovely, sunny San Francisco, chances are you're going to have a lot of people close with very stringent vendor relationships. However, if you're in Indonesia, where generally the tech giants do not reside, then you're going to have to start relying a bit more on a partner ecosystem. So presume I am sat somewhere where there aren't tech giants close, and I'm having to rely on the partner, a distributor, a reseller ecosystem to deliver technological solutions. What should I expect as a customer? Hmm, good question. 
in all cases, what you should expect uh, and what you should look for is a partner that is, uh, that's listened, that can do discovery and doesn't ever come in and lead a particular product out of the gate, right? This is one that I hear a lot where if you've got somebody who's come in and is approaching you with a product set without understanding your symptoms or the business problems that you're trying to solve, then that's a, a more of a red flag in this space, right? The, the types of things I would be looking for and, and maybe shy away from, right? You want somebody that's going to be, you know, that term trusted advisor, I think is a good one because that's exactly what they should be, right? They should be the type of person that an organization that you can come in and trust to be a third party to recommend the right solution for your overall problem in you know technology space. That's a great thought, actually. So if you're relying on the the partner, the distributor, to sell you the best in breed solution, what if the best in breed solution or the best solution out there isn't offered by this partner? Say if they have relationships with the biggest vendors. And a smaller vendor appears and they revolutionize the industry. And I'm not going to focus on anything, just a generic technological just revolution. Highly, highly theoretical um, highly conversation. Theoretical. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> That's a great question. And in fact, believe it or not, this does happen. And you, as the end customer, you have the power in the relationship. It doesn't mean it's a blind acceptance of a solution necessarily, right? And the fact that you, as a as a human being that understands things and have heard things in the market, you have the right to ask those questions. Just as if you were to head to a doctor's office, right, and you're getting some kind of uh, diagnosis for something, you have the right to question, you know, why a, a recommended course of healing would be the right way to go. The same with your technology stack. So, you know, understanding that environment and saying, look, I've heard about this vendor, let's just call them your vendor Y, or C, vendor C in the space that uh, might be a good solution for this overall, bring it up to them, right? Because that happens more and, you know, the opportunities are out there and there isn't exactly one solution for everybody in the space. And it's, it's foolish to think that the only way that you're going to get a solution to a problem is by going with the biggest guys in the, in the industry. You know, frankly, when I'm looking at restaurants or I'm looking at, People I want to use just locally for my own use case. Am I always going to go to Applebee's or McDonald's or whatever the use case is? No, because am I going to get the best bang for my buck? Am I going to get something new and exciting and something that, that delivers something that I wasn't looking for? Probably not with those big corporations. Indeed. So I've been in a situation in a previous life working with partners, working with resellers, and they have the very much of a... Um, Henry Ford style of approach of you can have the car in any color you want as long as it's black. And they were doing that because they were incentivized by one type of vendor and having crazy profit margins. So they were always pushing that agenda. So what are some other red flags, some warning signs when dealing with partners that you should maybe, maybe they don't have your best interest in heart? That's a good one. And it's kind of what I alluded to a little earlier when, when they, they're leading with one solution out of the gate, right? That's the easiest of all of them, right? Suddenly, what's going on? Who, somebody must have a pretty big spiff. And spoiler alert, spiff is, a, is a, an incentives that vendors will often provide for partners to sell their product, right? So they're going to get a bonus on top of things if they position that product and they get you to buy it, right? So 
that's great. It's great and all to have these environments and you want these agents to do well as their trusted partner. And so you want them to get paid, of course. But those red flags are where they're not actually doing discovery. They haven't understood your business. They're not listening to you. That listening is another big one, right? So if there is not a true relationship in this one, this is when you start looking elsewhere. So if I'm a partner, I'm doing active listening, I'm doing discovery, I'm identifying the pain points for my customer, and I really want to be seen as a trusted advisor. However, I don't have any product in my portfolio that honors their need. How does a partner select the right vendor? Taking it the other way, what steps would you recommend? It depends on what level of partner they're at. If they live in that community and they are old terminology sub-agent or an agent in the community and they have a master agent or a TSP that they call on, they'll have an engineering team that they can draw on that will come in and provide recommendations for them. They're there for that partner community, especially the smaller ones who don't understand things. So they can rely on that team to kind of give them a good view of things. And me as a, you know, as a vendor channel SE in this space, I work with these TSBs to make sure that they understand that they're up to speed and then they can provide that to the end agents because it's impossible for them to, to be abreast of all of the changes in the in the industry and things that are going on. They've got individual areas of focus. And so having that relationship for them is key, right? But uh, as you get bigger, if you're moving, if you're more in that VAR MSP space, right, they're building their own practices in that space. They're onboarding technology and understanding it and diving deep. And, you know, it's key to have a vendor such as us to be able to provide and give those enablement sessions and education and things of that nature. And that's where I focus most of my time. Onboarding is a challenge for the entire tech industry. That is always a challenge because every vendor has an on-ramp phase and any technology you want to learn, whether it be the iPhone in your pocket, a ring doorbell, or a crazy UEC as a service deployment, they all have a learning time. So how long should it take for a partner or a service provider to really onboard with an SD-WAN or SASE vendor? Yeah, so this is one, if you would have asked me, you know, two years ago, I would give you a very different answer than I do today, because the, the time frame for onboarding most anything would probably be you know, a year to 18 months, right? That was a typical cycle for onboarding some kind of new product uh, in the space because of the complexities, building the tooling, training your people, integrating with your ordering system, all aspects of those things. It takes a long time in that space because understanding the technology is key and getting your people trained up on there was, was the hard part, right? I will say candidly, if you're SASE or SD-WAN vendor is not something that could be onboarded in months or even weeks as pushed, then I would, I would start investigating other solutions, right? Because this is the part and parcel of a, a solution, SASE, SD-WAN, is really simplifying things and converging the networking and security together. That's really the focus of that, of that solution, to make things easier to do. And if they are not easier, if they're if there's a lot of window dressing on top of complicated things underneath, then I would say look elsewhere because there are solutions in that space that absolutely uh, can approach it that way and can help you build the practice in weeks and months. That's great. I was talking with a European reseller last week, and they mentioned that they offer CASB solutions. They resell a CASB vendor. 
but they don't offer anything in the world of SD-WAN. So they were saying that their customers have to work with multiple partners to actually deliver both networking and security together. Is this something that commonly happens in the US as well? It is. It is. I mean, they, you know, what happens a lot of times is sometimes these partners, as, as much as they want to be in the technology space, maybe they focus on a particular area because they were comfortable with it and not some other elements of it. And that happens very frequently with people that are more networking focused and don't really have a security practice overall or, or maybe technical resources that understand security. So they shied away from it. But that's changing. I see that changing daily. And as a partner, there's a lot out there to help you in that space to make you feel confident and sassy as a model really is taking and simplifying things. And again, you know, just as I was saying, if they're not making it simple to understand, to train your sales team, to help your customers understand what they're doing, then then look elsewhere because there are solutions that absolutely will do that. So there's ways that you can provide those services and you don't have to provide them all at the same time, but you can take those aspects of things and say, deliver SD-WAN and CASB, right? And then maybe I want to do things, just throwing acronyms out there like intrusion prevention systems or anti-malware or, or the other aspects of a solution. And if I can easily bolt those on without having to go to nine other vendors to do that, then then you're in the right headspace, right? And this is a growing market. I just saw a report that in the past, 80% of, of sales were networking focused. This is five years ago. And today, 60% of it is a, is a larger solution set overall that includes elements of networking, but includes things like security and, and more IT resources, et cetera. So the things are changing in the partner landscape. And um, it's certainly something that the partners can take advantage of. Those numbers make sense to me, really. Because over the past five years, the internet has become less of a luxury and more of a necessity. COVID-19 struck, people started working from home. The use of internet rose substantially. Now you have applications like TikTok that is dominating the throughput charts everywhere. The internet has become something that is not just for social or business anymore. It's become a core part of your everyday. Um, heck, to the point where if I want to go on a London tube, I can just pull my phone out and tap it on the on the, the reader. And NFC through the internet allows to make a debit card purchase. So the internet use has gone up. We've also seen a substantial rise in the cost of cybersecurity insurance. As the average cost of a breach is going up, ransomware is becoming more prevalent, and the world is becoming more focused on retaining the digital and intellectual property that we call tech. So if I'm a partner that has been selling networking for the past 15 years, and I love my CLI, and I love walking around with a console cable because it makes me feel cool, security is very scary. What recommendations would you have for partners to start standing into that security space? Right. Well, that's a good question. Uh, and I see this happening all the time where we've got those partners that have, have been focused on you know the command line interface. They're comfortable with it. I, I've spent tens of years myself in that space. And, you know, the end customer is not looking for that as a solution, right? What they're looking for is problem solving for their business outcomes, right? So the they're increasingly worried about compliance. They're increasingly worried about things like breaches that we hear about by minute by minute these days, right? So keen on some of those terminology that your end customer is thinking about is something that you can start 
just moving into the security space to say, you know what, I'm worried about a breach. I'm worried about ransomware. How would I approach that? I'm investigating cybersecurity insurance, but increasingly, in fact, I think it's probably going to be required in the coming year where to even qualify for cybersecurity insurance, you're going to need to have some implementations of security as a service, firewalling, anti-malware, IPS protection, et cetera. So your customers are going to be looking in this space. So you need to start thinking about how you can change the, the conversation to say, okay, let's look at getting you that cybersecurity insurance. And by the way, you know, they're going to ask you, how are you protecting your environment today? And do you have visibility into these things that are going on? And being able to provide that with a solution like a SASE solution is going to be a great way forward. And you'll find that most of the vendors in this space should have a wealth of education resources to help you. And again, if they don't look elsewhere, right, because they should absolutely be enabling you in that space. And again, reach out to your TSBs, your master agents, et cetera, to help you. So I know there's going to be a lot of partners that are listening to this thinking, ooh, I can't keep reselling this uh, this firewall that I've been sold, selling for the past 10 years. Ooh, this seems a bit shaky. So what piece of advice would you give the future partners of the world for selecting the right vendor? I would say this, right? And when you are looking at a solution, if it is not something that you could get your hands on, try out and understand within a few weeks time frame, then look elsewhere, right? So if it's something that you feel like you have to have a tech staff that's certified in an endless supply of vendor certifications to understand and come alongside of it, there are better solutions out there for you in the space. And really the management of those devices, you know, you're not back to the days of hiring a DBA that understood specific aspects of a, of a database query and they that's all they lived in. Or, you know, a, a guy that focused entirely on router programming and, and CLI and, and other aspects of that environment. There are solutions out there, absolutely, that you can understand as a human being, that you can come alongside, you can configure and you can provide to your end customers and they focus on that entirely, right? So that's another thing that I would say too. There is room for a space where a vendor can provide that solution to you uh, in a very specialized fashion and not say pick from 90 different products and try and figure out what 10, as we used to say in the old days, back the truck up, right? And start selling things off the bat, right? That's some real good advice. That's some real good advice. So in your career, you've gone from being a code monkey to a network junkie, and now you're empowering and making people happy and connecting the dots and creating these trusted advisors, which is a great route. But in this career path you've gone through, you've learned a lot. So what is something you know now you wish you knew at the start of your career? You know, I had, as I started my career, very early on, I came along in some organizations and I always kind of felt, I felt a little less than in the space, right? The ever growing divide of what I knew and what I didn't know, especially as the technology world has grown considerably since when I started, I always felt like, you know, I didn't know enough that I couldn't possibly be an expert in enough in a particular area. And what I came to find is that being somebody who has more of a growth mindset and being flexible 
understanding different aspects of technology and being able to pivot, that is so much more valuable than being somebody that knew every bit and byte related to a particular technology and focus in that area. So, you know, don't shy away from the fact that you can be deep where you need to be deep, but you can be wide as well. And for me, that's always spurred my curiosity in things and kept me going in that I didn't get so focused on an area that I just burnt out entirely. And I have a lot of former co-workers and friends that spent so much time doing individual things in the space. The last thing they want to do is anything related with technology going forward. Fantastic words of advice. Well, thank you very much for your time, Paul. It's been very insightful. Thank you. Thank you. Great talking to you today. That was all for our episode today. I hope you've come away feeling a little more educated and empowered. In case you've forgotten, I'm Robin Johns, and you've been listening to Convergence by Cato Networks. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.